Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I might chip out, man. I got this, yeah. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to listen to Reese and Dan on the Ankle Pick Pod. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We're here for our main episode this week. If you follow us religiously, Set the Spread has already dropped for this week. That was spearheaded by Country Club Kobe. And it is also on YouTube, thanks to Danny Dankwagers getting after our YouTube. Big, big ups to you, Dan. Um, we're going to start with the recap of 277 as usual. We will throw in a little contender series segment, parlay that to news and notes. And then Danny and I will break down this week's card, Santos versus Hill. Also, we, Danny and I took a different approach this week. We are going to figure out our ankle lock kind of live. Uh, not a lot of chatter pre-show kind of to see if we align on something without, you know what I mean? So we don't sway each other beforehand. So there's going to be a new interesting approach. Let's start first with recap. So we are recapping UFC 277. I think it was a decent card up and down. Dan, you were there. Tell us about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The energy was awesome. Uh, Obviously, Brandon Moreno fighting in, in the southern U.S., United States of America is going to be a huge Mexican draw, and they showed out. I mean, it was wild. It was loud when uh, Kai Carter-France went down and, and when he was laying on that ground and pound to really finish it. it. I mean, it was a raucous, raucous arena, and people were there pretty early. I'll give them credit. Even with uh, whatever, Orion Kosi and, and Blood Diamond kicking off and, and then followed by uh, a couple women's fights, but people people were there and in their seats um, for real early in this card, all things considered. Yeah, you got to love to see that. That's my favorite thing when, because usually a, a lot of the times for these cards, you see, you get there and the whole arena is empty. So awesome to see that people are coming out ahead of it. So there's a couple interesting ones. And Country Club, you can chime in whenever you see fit. I know, did you, you, you caught this card, right? Oh, yeah. Or a big chunk of it, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna direct the. We're gonna kind of just big chunk of it, and like as in all of it. Yeah, we're gonna okay, all of it. There you go. That's what we're talking about. Casual no longer. So we'll just like talk about it, uh, and feel free to jump in as you see fit. But we're gonna we're start just gonna like it. talk about it. Well, we got to break. Kobe, down. I do think you need to throw Country Club into your bio somewhere on Twitter. I keep calling you Country Club Kobe in our YouTube descriptions, and and that's gotta like. They've got to find you somewhere. Right. I mean, that is your name. So I'm not sure how you want to handle that, but that is your name. So we're going to start off with the curtain jerker, Ryan Cozy, Blood Diamond. And this was in, I mean, let's face it, a lot of my parlays. Did either of you two find this on your sheets? Because this one was interesting and I want to talk about it. I had Cozy. Cozy. I stayed away. Uh, the weight missed to me with just kind of the Cozy Brothers reputation for gas tanks was something that I was a little bit worried of. I had Cozy pre-weight miss and was very worried about the price that I paid. I too was worried. But here's the thing that I want, why I want to talk about it. I know it's a curtain jerker, so we'll speed up after this. But I noticed a lot of people saying, mainly on Twitter, is one of our biggest interactions we had fight night that Cozy is, is just not it. He... He's not good. He's undisciplined. I, I saw a lot of people throwing 
uh, flack at, at him. And I commented that I do believe he has all the pieces. It's a maturity thing and you kind of need to put it all together. And I wanted to table that because he dropped the second round of Blood Diamond, won the first round, dug deep and got the third round done, which, which kind of combats that gas tank that I too was worried about. But what's really interesting here is do you think he has the skill sets to be an actual contender or a even a gatekeeper in the UFC? Or do you think he is just a, a guy who's just going to find himself in the early prelims and out faster than longer than he uh, has to stay? I still think it's much too early to tell. Clearly, he's got that fighting spirit. Like you said, he, he hustled in that third round and got that takedown even when it looked like his gas tank was kind of on the ropes. Um but at 28 years old, I think he's still got maybe four or five years of fighting experience before he really reaches his prime. And I think that he could be a real contender by then. But right now, it's just way too early to tell for me. I, I kind of don't disagree with that. And then the other thing, too, is Blood Diamond. Obviously, he's got thrown a bone because he's Izzy's homeboy. You think he, he just continues to stay, or do you think they're kind of done with this project? I don't think that. I don't think he gets a pink slip so much like right away. I think he's got a pretty long leash just because of who he's associated with. Um, and I don't think that anyone minds when, uh, especially fight promoters, when you throw a guy named Blood, Blood Diamond on, say, on the prelims. Um, his name is legally Blood Diamond, so you can't hate that. I do think, and Izzy's always been really outspoken about this. I, stylistically, I think the weight miss really helped Orion. Um, mm. and, and you tend to see when bigger, heavier guys are going to grapple. The weight miss is probably to their advantage, but um, not always the case. Yeah. Depends how sucked out they are and how hard it took them to get the last couple of pounds. But yeah, so we let's uh, my fault for the way I cued those questions, but this one was pivotal for me this week, but I know we spent a little bit of time on the curtain jerker. Next one up, uh, Nega Marianu versus Eeyore Pretoria. Pretoria making his UFC debut. This one I had uh, Nega Marianu and the under. So I cashed both those tickets. It was mainly just because I saw this as a pure striking affair that is sloppy. And it kind of ended up being that way. I know the, the commentators were gassing up Mega Mariano saying, wow, what a performance. I, I think this was more of a Eeyore's just, just ain't it more than it's like, wow, Mega Mariano's that guy. And I think that we might have a Mega Mariano fade in the future. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this was a fun fight, like you said, just kind of back and forth, sloppy a little bit. Cool to be in the arena. But, yeah, I don't think either of these guys are coming out of this as, as names to note on my book. Yeah, I agree. Jocelyn Edwards, split decision. G on Kim. I scored for Jocelyn Edwards, was surprised by the split, although I was on Kim. Uh, untracked. It was more just for fun. But I threw unit tracked on Kim. I took a couple of shots. I, I ended up red for the first time in a long time. Oh, uh, and it's a lot to do with three underdog single unit shots. I took that all, all three. I was going to say, Dan, I, it's been, it's gotta have been in the months since you've said red. It was May. It was May. Yeah. The last it's, time I had a uh, red UFC card, I, I went red in PFL between then, but yeah, but that, but red UFC card is few and far between. So this is also the point where I reel in Country Club Kobe to ask him, how is, are the women's dogs shaping up after last week's card? 0-2 last week. 0-2 last Jocelyn week. Jocelyn Edwards closed as a slight favorite, and uh, so we took the loss there. After opening as a dog, so, I, you know, I for the down. analytics department on how to calculate that one. But obviously, yeah. Nunez also ended up winning. We'll get there, I'm sure. And then, but, and then yeah, and Pena fell in with it because of the fade cap is 350, which – 
Yeah. Although it didn't look it, Nunes did fall under that. My, uh, Michael Morales, Adam Fuggett, they're making fun of him on the podcast. It's not, or I mean on the broadcast, it's not actually called that, but it's a uh, Fugit. But Michael Morales is the real freaking deal, dude. And I don't know if he's the real deal, like his well-rounded skill set, but he's got swag galore. Per, he's a he's a killer man, and he's young as can be. I'm, I'm actually this is one of the first prospects that I'm like excited for. Like I genuinely am excited to watch him fight. Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, I couldn't have said it better. He's 23 years old, huge, huge, bright future ahead of him. Uh, really impressed by his fight, even though we kind of predicted that uh, Fugit or Fugit is, is not so much the level of competitor that we really should learn from or that we should be impressed by. He spoke, Michael Morales was supposed to run through him and he did, but yeah. uh, props to him for doing it. Also, Dan, I took KOTKO minus 135. Talked about it on the podcast. Can't remember if you're with me or not. Dracar close, Rafa Garcia. Dracar close, edged the decision. We were uncertain, but what, I mean, Dracar close is supposed to wash this guy, in my opinion, minus 205 clip. I don't think he lived up to the number. I, I think that's up for debate. I don't, I wasn't really worried at any point in this fight. Obviously, Rafa is a dangerous guy, but. Uh, Dracar just seemed like he was in control for me the you, whole time. You tracked uh, a Dracar wager as well, right? Yeah, I did. I did. That was a, a two or three unit play. That was one I was pretty confident. Yeah, in. you tried your best to convince me on the podcast. And I just never came around, unfortunately. But it looked good. And also, I'm glad to see that the injury woes from the Jeremy Stevens shove seem to be behind him, which is important. Okay, Hamdi Abedabedabedawale. Uh, fought Dontel Mays, another Dallas judging, Dan. I don't know what the feeling in the arena was that night, but another split decision that didn't seem to be a split, in my opinion. I had a 29-28 Hamdi, but split nonetheless. But Hamdi, a newcomer, only uh, only 3-0, and now now sits at 4-0 professionally and beats a guy like Dontel Mays, who, is he a world beater? No, but he belongs in the UFC, in my opinion. I think it's debatable after that performance. I mean, <laughs> he he really, really looked unimpressive. Looked like he had no strategy in terms of like how to get the fight to the ground. Was just kind of there's that one clip circulating online of him just almost running at Hamdi and then falling in, going for I don't know, like supposedly like a hip check or something. I I, I couldn't really even tell. But um, yeah, that was a really unimpressive performance from Don Mays for me. Yeah, I got I, trapped. I trapped myself and took Dantel live after the first, after he lost the first round. But I thought it was still like I don't know. I just didn't think it was going to get to the card, so I figured no, I could. I could see plus that number. I could see that trap. I I had a similar mindset going in, Kobe. I I think I was just surprised that that Dantel never kicked it up, which I think is is the issue. Drew Dober, Rafael Alves. I thought Rafael Alves would have more for him. Drew looked incredible, in my opinion. I thought this was a great fight for him. And he got one of one of I believe two, yeah, one of two KOs from a from a body shot uh, that night, which is always awesome to see. But Drew's climbing the ranks, man. I think he continues to be a tough out. I was nodding earlier because he got a bonus. Definitely, yeah. This was... I knew anything about the body shots. Wait, country club bonus, Drew. Bonus. Okay, and that's the first bonus. First bonus. Cool. 
Danny, what were you going to chime in? No, I was just going to say this was one I was all over on our podcast. I was saying that Rafael Alves was going to start strong. His, his first round was going to be his best round for sure. And eventually the Dober Muay Thai was just going to come through. And, and the chin of Dober is really ridiculous. something that's untouchable. It's, it's similar to the Bran Moreno chin that we were talking about last week, too, is two guys I'm confident are just not going to drop. I mean, it's impressive as hell. And we'll get into it in maybe half an hour when we get into this card. Uh, Terrence McKinney dropped him yep. in the first round, but Dober yeah, is yeah, yeah. a chin made of steel. And uh, I grabbed a live line too. That this was one that I really cast out on. What and, uh, did you get the live from line? Big Red? What was the live line you got? If you don't mind, sharing? I mean, what, what was it? I, I don't believe it was it. like I, plus one fifteen at the end of round one. Okay, wow, that's exact. I mean, talk about scripting it. That is exactly how you said it would play out last week. I hate to beat a dead horse, but. Country Club doesn't sound like it just pays to listen, or is it just me? It might it just be listen. It pays to listen, man. It, it's ridiculous. If you followed uh, Danny Dankwagers in on that one, you cashed out not only pre-vet but also live. Alex Morono, Matt Senselberger, dude. What's I? This was the one. This was the biggest puzzler for me, I think, because I expected more from Senselberger, even though he got he had a nasty shiner. But also, like, can you name a more unassuming character than Alex Morono? He continuously gets overlooked, and then he comes out here and seemingly beats up on guys. Now, are they world beaters? No. It's a 51-year-old Donald Cerrone, Mickey Gall, David Zawada. I mean, nothing crazy. But But the common theme with all those guys is they're all better athletes than Alex Morono. He's just a tough cookie to crack. He really, I mean, he, he's going to take your best punch and hit you harder. And and that's his MO and respect to him because it's not, in, in modern day mixed martial arts, there's not a lot of guys that can go in with that game plan and come out with both paychecks. I know, it's hard to almost name another one. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum maybe comes into mind or he's just not that athletic for his division. But like Alex Moreno comes in, doesn't look the part, doesn't assume the part and just continuously dismantles guys. Another thing important about this that, I don't believe we'll touch it on news and notes. Morono says he has no desire to start fighting ranked guys or, or, or trying to go for gold. He, he's just going for longevity here. He wants to get his 20th UFC win. And he likes to fight. Yeah. He's just a guy who loves to fight. He's young. He's 31. Um, he actually just got his rookie card this past year. But, I mean, he's been fighting in the UFC for since 2016. Um, yeah, I was going to say he's like the oldest 31-year-old in the world. Yeah. So – well, I mean, I'm excited to see more from this guy. And I think that there's a real opportunity that you're going to consistently get this guy as an underdog and he's going to consistently outperform his number. So another win there for him. And it was pretty dominant nonetheless. Love I was all game. over him. You were? That's yeah. a great bet. Because Senselberger brings question marks where you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's a freak athlete. This guy's got freak power. This guy's got a decent pace. You, you, you can convince yourself on why Senselberger is the better bet. That's a veteran play from a man who's no longer a casual. Love to see that. What was the final line you got on that? Plus one fifty. I got one thirty-five, but I got it pretty five. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't remember where exactly it closed. Main card time, people. UFC two seventy-seven. This had a price of admission, thanks to ESPN Plus. It has gotten more expensive. Nonetheless, I'm sure you could stream it somewhere. You didn't hear it from me. Magomed Ankalaev TKO's Anthony Smith. It ended up being a leg injury, um, broken ankle, I believe. Uh, and he is going to have to have surgery on that. Other than the injury, 
thoughts on the performance? I mean, Magomed obviously is a guy that I think a lot of people are sculpting for his title shot. A lot of people probably believe he beats Yuri Pohashka. So how did this performance ring to you? Because Anthony Smith obviously fought for the belt against John Jones, not an easy out. Yeah, I I really didn't take too much away from this matchup. This was a sh- one of the shots I mentioned pre uh, or a couple minutes ago. Um, big dog price on Anthony Smith, and I, I took it. I, I I thought that maybe he had one more stunner in him. Um, Magomed looked great. I mean, he checked the kick that led to Anthony Smith's injury. It wasn't just like a freak accident that we've seen in, in a couple of the heavyweights or sorry, not heavyweights, uh, main events recently. Two weeks ago, um, Aspen. All yeah. Late. And then even before the rakeage, um, there's been a couple of interesting ones. Yeah. And the Brian been. Ortega. There's been, been a weird, yeah, this has been a bad year for injuries. This, this was more so feeling like the, the McGregor Poirier where Poirier checks a kick and, and it results in an injury. Um, Anklev, Anklev caused the injury in Anthony Smith. Um, but I, I was sitting there uh, in the, in the arena. I saw it happen. I saw the next step and I'm like, Oh, he's, he's wobbly. He's loose on that leg. He it's from there. The fight was over to me. It, it just, he had nothing left. Um Good for good for Magomed to get this feather in his cap and to move on, and I hope he gets a title shot soon because he's that good. But to me, it wasn't just like a performance that says, "Give me the, I, I deserve it now." Yeah, and he is that good, and it's it's common, it's it's inevitable, um, to say the least. So Alex Perez, this I think was probably the most shocking in the way it unfolded. Pantoja subs. This was incredible. Rear naked choke round one. Brandon Moreno was asked post-fight because, uh, well, I know we'll get to it, but Brandon Moreno won the fight. I'm sure everyone knows that. He said, are you going to fight Pantoja? Pantoja, I mean, obviously he's beaten you. He had another phenomenal win. Brandon Moreno said, I said to Pantoja, I promise you we will fight, but me and Figgy have to finish our business. So I think Pantoja either is going to be on the shelf or have to fight again. But talk about like, levels to this game first round sub over a guy who who's a lot of people thought was gonna was gonna pay the price of the underdog there yeah a guy who on paper has all the skill to combat everything that happened but i'll tell you alex andre the the version of alex andre that was in dallas on saturday night he beats brandon moreno he beats davison figueredo i mean fuck it he beats khabib he beats francis that guy wasn't losing to anyone he, he came in like a bat out of hell and was just not going to take a step backwards, period. I, I, you could have hit him with a sledgehammer and that guy was still going to come for you and just take your head off. That was one of the coolest performances I have ever seen. Uh, crazy impressed from Alexandre. Yeah, he looked great too, like physically some of the best shape I've seen him in. Obviously, we can't figure out how his gas tank looked. It ended that fast, but man, I mean – I've been a big Pantoja fan for a very long time, and it's hard to just not love this guy. Sergey Pavlovich. 50K there, too. Yep, 50K there. Not surprising. Sergey Pavlovich TKOs Derek Lewis in 55 seconds. People called it a, a questionable stoppage. I don't know. I mean, these guys are slinging leather. But I, the where this really got me, and I did place this um, for two units, this really got me because the line, I think, was the most suspect. I think the fact that Pavlovich was the favorite showed me there was a lot of sharp action on it. 
Derek Lewis, even with all the casual bets, everyone I talked to who's a casual UFC fan was, was on Derek Lewis. Oh, Derek Lewis isn't going to lose. Da, da, da. And so that kind of gave me the lean more than what I watched on tape. But quick performance nonetheless. And I think we were at a point where whoever lands first was going to get the job done. I mean, the power these two men have is just ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that your point that you brought up last week of where do we really know Derek Lewis's chin to be at uh, is holding a little bit more weight with me. Yeah. 37, man. 37-year-old heavyweight nonetheless. I mean, that's not an easy feat. I guess while we're on it, where does he go from here? I mean, Sergey's just going to be in the mix at heavyweight, but Derek Lewis. That's a good fight. That's a good fight. Has that happened recently, yeah. though? I feel like it has. No. No? That, no, I don't that think they've ever fight. fought. That's the fight to make. I, I, that's, I can't think of a better fight than that. That's a good fight to make. The, the funny thing is I don't think either of those guys has a crazy higher ceiling than fighting each other. I think that they both are, are great fighters that are going to stick around heavyweight but probably yeah. not climb the ladder all the way to the top. I mean, top. They're, just, they're just entertaining bodies, you know? Um, yeah. They're not going anywhere. No. But they're not going anywhere. Right. We have a bonus from this right. fight. They're not going anywhere, but they're not going anywhere. I couldn't say it better. We had a bonus from this fight. Yeah. To Derek Lewis. For the crypto? Crypto.com, 10K bonus to Derek Lewis. I saw that. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I thought it was pretty I, – I, I, was, I was not so surprised reading that based on the reception that the arena gave Pavlovic and gave Derek Lewis uh, in the moment. Everyone thought that he had been robbed and that he – deserves something more and so i wasn't surprised people kind of giving him that still though to lose in 55 seconds and get a 10 i won't tell him he deserved it but i'm saying the emotions in the arena were oh, no, I, he, he got robbed i'm not surprised it happened it just shows that it's kind of a novelty but at the end of the day when that check hits his bank account and he has to claim it to the irs he's going to claim performance bonus that's what's hilarious about it what a performance out of Derek lewis the black beast. And obviously we're not a crypto website or whatever podcast, but I feel like you're selling that. Are you right? Yeah. I, I like, I hit the, the liquidate button. I, I'm not messing with that. I need the cold hard. I know. Do you know what I do, Dan? You're just I like, turn, give me the cold hard cash and let me turn I turn it, it into right. I turn it right into UFC strike NFTs so I can join you in the champions club. Man, I do want to give them a shout out. The, the team at UFC Strike was incredibly hospitable. They treated me so well at 277. Um, yeah, that, that Champions Club is an awesome feature. I just today in my email got my uh, promo code for free Fight Pass. And so I'll be saving a couple bucks each month as well. Wow. That, that, that itself is worth it for me. Um, I got to get me a Champions moment. So if anyone's selling, let me know. Brandon Moreno, Kai Kara France, co-main event for the interim 125-pound strap. I don't want to get into the politics of all this, but I do feel like these interim belts are a little bit overdone. I mean, Figgy was there with his belt seemingly. It, I feel like it's a, it's a sales mechanism more than it is an actual legitimate belt. Nonetheless, Brandon Moreno gets it, looking to unify with Figgy, and it was done via a liver kick that turned into a uh, TKO ground strikes. Holy fuck. It was the toes right on the liver as about as painful as it gets. And then one more thing before I just hand this to you on a platter, ankle lock advances to four and oh, second half or three and oh, 
I think so. I I I lost count, but we're on. Either way, it's an O. And we were in six in 2022. Four and O for game. second half, I believe. Yeah. Yep. So, I, I beating a dead horse, but pays to listen. I'm gonna hand this to you on, on on a platter, Dan. What a what a call from you. You really spearheaded Moreno here, and it showed. He looked phenomenal. Yeah, and I I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't think that he wrestled really at all or got had any kind of top control this was moreno out striking and beating kai Kara france to the punch and in that third round it, it the, i guess the pendulum started to swing maybe uh and kai was starting to land a little bit more but it was those, those body shots that just paid the investments paid off and you're, you're right about that kick being perfectly placed and the toe being so painful when right when you get touched in that liver i mean there's nothing like it uh, but I'll tell you what, there was nothing like that arena. I I've been to now six, seven UFC fight cards, um, a couple of handful of PFL cards, um, a couple fights here and there. I've never been in a louder arena, regardless of the sport, man, did the, did the fans show out for Brandon Moreno and Herb let Herb let it go a little bit. I don't know if the Derek Lewis fight, which was right before, was on his mind a little bit. He wasn't in the octagon for that, but Herb, Herb let the, those grounded pounds land after right. after Kai dropped from that liver shot. So and, and and the other thing too that's important to note is it's not like Kai is a pusher. I mean, he's a tough motherfucker. I mean, that shows the pain and the precision of that kick there. The other thing I found interesting, I was digging so deep into the post-fight interviews, figuring out, was that in the game plan? What's What was the script there? Uh, Moreno was working on that all week. So James Krause, absolute mastermind. Not to get ahead of news and notes, also announced his retirement um, from the sport. He's going to focus solely on coaching. So I think that's going to be great for Brandon Moreno's career. Brandon Moreno's still Not- young. Not to get double ahead of news and notes, he he was on Helwani earlier this week. Yeah, that was where uh, he announced it. Talking like, well, but for, for our listeners, he was on Helwani talking about how he's uh, up there with one of the best or some of the best MMA gamblers in the world about how he, he's betting on fights that he's coaching, how he's betting on fighters that he's coaching, um, and that he's making more money from – MMA gambling than he is from coaching and, and that he is from any other outlet in his career. I'm he even, was I'm advertising even. some discord where he was giving away picks and it looks like he's playing $5,000 units. He's betting between 20 and 35 units a night. He's apparently a, a big dog in this space and, and uh, it's been under the Krause, radar for a second. I didn't even know Kraus had it like that. We got to try to reach out to him. I mean, I imagine it's a profitable wager just to back glory MMA guys. I mean, they have a good gym and they have, they have a a great lineup. I mean, I know Jason Witt's coming up this weekend, but you got a mastermind of a coach in there that that's interesting. I'm excited to give that a listen. I'm going to give, I'll say it's especially interesting to know which guy as the head coach is personally backing with his own finances week in and week out. Yeah. That is interesting. I would be surprised if he had a five-unit wager on Jason Witt this weekend, but we'll figure that one out later. Fight of the night bonus, 50K each, and 30K to Brandon Moreno. So, Not to get too deep on this, but was I was the only one that was surprised fight of the night. I didn't see it so much as a back and forth until really the beginning of that third round, but Kai got – So, interestingly enough, did you see the scorecards? Not that it came to this. 
No, I didn't I see didn't. the scorecards actually. One judge had 2018 Moreno. One judge had 1919. One judge had 2018 High Car France. Honestly, it, it's a meme at this point how horrible the Texas judging is. It's honestly almost impressive. Like, where are they finding these people? I'm genuinely curious. Dan, you got to file your your uh, resume just to start judging the shits, man. I do have to move forward. One thing that they disclosed, uh, not so much with this fight, but with uh, the early prelims and prelims, it was just local Texas yeah. MMA uh, people that they were giving. People that have had maybe less than five, six, seven fights judged, fights scored, um, and they were giving their local guys a big step up until uh, the main event started, and it was more of the UFC's guys. And still, this Texas Athletic Commission's rearing its head, and it's it's. I mean, it's out of control. I mean, it's one of those things where before the fight night card even starts, people are jawing about how hilarious the judging is going to be tonight. Like, that's embarrassing. That shouldn't happen. Um, nonetheless, did this one? Did this main event not get a bonus, Kobe? Uh, Nunes. a bonus for Nunes. Just crypto. Okay, because I thought. This would have been performance bonus. I've never seen a cleaner fight. Just a dominant performance from Nunez. And I'm actually going to give the floor to Country Club first, Dan, because he cashed out like an absolute bandit on Nunez. If you listen to Set the Spread, you knew this already. But Country, you saw this from a mile away. You weren't buying into the, you weren't buying into the whole Pena's going to sub her. I was nervous every time she went for an arm bar. The entire fight. Okay. So I don't know. I I saw the number and I was thinking that you know the number was nine hundred eight months ago, and since then it's not like Amanda's had a kid since then. She's had the kid prior to the first fight, and so she was you know more zoned in and part of tough. So like she she had no yeah, excuse not to fight in. She's the goat. I do think the tough uh, weirdly fueled the fire. I was thinking about that. Like no one's going to go on a reality show and then get smoked again by someone who is not as talented, but yeah, especially not the also no one. And I mean, no one can question Juliana Pena's toughness. I mean, she just For got, sure. oh, yeah. it, was, it was a hell of a fight. There's just levels to this. And yeah. one is the goat. There's levels to this. Exactly. Also. Someone- I will, I will drink my metaphorical Malord. I, I, I ate the trash. I, place a one unit bet on juliana pena tracked it was the the last of my three dog shots i had pena anthony smith and Gion kim any of those three hits and i'm green for the night or if i stay away from all three i'm green for the night but uh sometimes you eat the trash and and this was for me this was the end of the trash kind of shots my uh my moreno nunez parlay was what sent me into the greenland just barely though just by a smidge because you know Sergey Pavlich helped me a lot. Where was my big miss? Oh, my big my big miss was uh, I, I I don't even want to admit it. Dan's gonna give me a hard time, but I took Rafael Alves. Um, thought he was gonna give Dover a tougher time than he did. That first round looked great, and then I mean Danny called it, and that's my own mistake. Never never fade Dank Wagers, which it wasn't a Dank Wagers fade. It was me being a moron. But nonetheless, that closes the book for UFC 277. I think that overall we weren't super stoked about this one. I mean, it was, it was not the best pay-per-view we've ever seen. It's worth the price of admission compared to some of the other ones we've seen, but it, 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 I think it delivered more than expectations. A lot of great finishes. I thought it was awesome. I I, I really got to say the energy in the arena was next to none. I I really enjoyed 
uh, being part of La Raza, Brandon Moreno supporters for the night. It was, it was incredible. I, I love that. I love that. And I'm glad you got to get there, uh, go there. And that kind of leads us into news and notes, but I'm going to give a little ankle pick news and notes first. If you didn't listen to set the spread, we're working out getting a fight companion going for UFC 280. All four gentlemen. Yes. Parker is still part of this. All four gentlemen will be, we'll figure it out, but that's ankle pick news and notes. Now on to UFC news and notes country club hit, hit us, hit us with your best shot. Let's start with uh, contender series. So okay. five fights, five contracts. I'll run through them. You guys give me your feedback, but Billy golf, Walter Waite, first round comeback after being knocked down in like the first, what, 15, 20 seconds. Um, comes back, finishes with some elbows, and gets the first round knockout. And a yeah. contract. It was a good fight. It, it was a good fight. I, it was a fight that I think both of them wish. I don't want to say wish they performed better. I know Goff was saying that he had more in him than he showed. But nonetheless, contract worthy. Love to see it. Former MLB pitcher, heavyweight, Waldo Cortez Acosta, first round knockout. Looked like he had some stuff to his game, but, you know, it, it, did I say first round knockout? I think it was a third round knockout. It was first round. Down. It was first it was round. First? Yeah. All right. I, whatever. Kobe, um, you said he looks like he's got some stuff, but how would you rate his stuff? Is he nasty or filthy? <laughs> I, I thought he looked a little raw. More though, of a command not- guy. I think he looked a little raw, to be honest. But, I mean, he 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 obviously dismantled this man, so I'm excited to see him. Plus, um, let's just call a spade a spade. We should have contender series, just heavyweight, light heavyweight, middle weight. They just need bodies, man. I mean, Acosta is going to be a great addition. Featherweight, Francis, Fire Marshal. Third round – or, I'm sorry, probably the fight of the night. Yeah, ridiculous. Decision over Connor Matthews. Yeah, um, but uh, does get a contract. Yeah, and I don't know if you heard the post-fight presser, but Dana White was talking to the commission. He thought that fight should have been stopped earlier, and he was talking to Herb about it as well. And they were figuring it out, and and, it, and he ended up saying he did agree with them, and he just had a different opinion. Um, but yeah, phenomenal fight. I think if you were going to yeah. watch just one fight, that's the one to go back and watch. I don't know about that claim. Yeah, I know these next the two were the too. No, I don't want to talk about the first one uh, or the last one. I'm, I have a story to tell. Go ahead. Uh, before we get there, Vinicius Salvador, second round knockout, flyweight contract. I actually have two stories to tell. I was talking to Danny and he goes, yeah, I'm just going to parlay the two big favorites. And I was like, oh, that actually sounds like a pretty good plan. So I did that. Shannon Ross mucked my fiddle. Minus 265. Couldn't get it done. Fuck me. I ended up not placing anything. Son of I, I, I looked at that parlay and I said, this is square as hell. <laughs> well, it was, it was, a, it was circle enough for me. I fucked myself. And then the main event, Chris Duncan, lightweight also gets a contract. Another first round finish, another comeback victory on the five fight card. And just wondering, wow. he looked like he, he, it looked like the fight was going to be stopped one way and then one and, shot. And that's, one right. and, and that's the story. I was doing a little booze and it was a Tuesday night. I was enjoying my night of fights. And I go, you know what? I'm down a little bit on the square parlay. I'm going to, I'm going to lay the favorite here and I'm going to risk my, I'm going to recoup my parlay and, and throw a little bit of cheddar on top to actually go into the green. I was excited. I was like, Oh, it's going to be a great weekend. I'm going to buy, I'm going to have Chipotle all week for free. Unbelievable. I took uh, Charlie Campbell 
I am like, call the fight, call the fight. Oh, guy gets back up, gets dropped again. Call the fight, call the fight. Guy gets back up, drops again. I'm like, all right, this has to be it. Doesn't. Eats a straight right. I don't believe Chris Duncan should have gotten a contract because he's getting dropped three times by Charlie Campbell. But the guy's heart's undeniable. Give him a shot. Give him a shot. But but long story short, I uh, cried myself to sleep Tuesday night. He was saying in the post-fight presser that he got an accidental eye poke and was really having a tough time seeing before while he was getting dropped and then connected on one and obviously it was over. I mean, the dudes I, – I really was hoping I wouldn't have to relive this. Um, let's get into other news and notes. I guess wrapping up Contender Series, probably the best Contender Series card in the history of Contender Series. That was exciting as hell. Yeah. Especially with Dana White's, like, rant yeah. that he went on about how boring it the first week was, how unacceptable it was. I mean, these people showed up. Connor in the news this week, active all over the place. Earlier in the week, he called out what Diego Sanchez says his leg's healthy, wants to get an octagon. <laughs> then later in the week, he's announced in, what, a remake of Roadhouse with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yep. And then earlier today, I saw he tweeted that he's done with MMA. I didn't see that MMA. Dunk Quick work is what he said. Yeah, the, the last one is, is new to me. I mean, what is this, though? The third time he's retired since the podcast has started? The sixth time he's retired yeah. since the Aldo fight? Retiring on Twitter doesn't really mean anything to me, but just drums up clicks. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think Connor is the goat of, of MMA's past. But, like, look, no one's really taking – he like, changed I mean, the way everyone, the sport perceived. Everyone, yeah, and, and he changes the way the, that people act. I mean, I think Adesanya got inspiration from him. I know Sean O'Malley got inspiration from him. You see these draws that all model themselves off him. He, he's, he is a, a pioneer, to say the least. But, I mean, is anyone seriously thinking, oh, he's going to come in here and beat Oliveira? He's going to come in here and beat Islam Makachev? He, I mean, he, he, I'll watch a pay-per-view with him on it, but, like, if he goes, I'm retiring for good, and it is confirmed by everybody, and it's like a it's a done deal. I'm not shedding tears over that. I, I honestly think it's probably good for the guy. He's got enough money; he doesn't need to come in here and break more shins. You know. I agree. It, I mean, uh, I don't have much to add. It says everything about his legacy that while he's still semi-active, the number one pound for pound fighter is directly quoting him to get his presser off and to sound cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, non-UFC news. Non-UFC news. AJ McKee booked against Spike Carlisle, Bellator 2. This is awesome, actually. How I'm so excited awesome? to hammer the AJ McKee side oh, there. Right. Obviously, AJ he's McKee, never fought up at lightweight. Spike Carlisle is going to get absolutely dismantled. There will be a little bit of a size, something to consider. But um, not still, enough where I'm, speed, I'm worried. The crispness is all going to be on the side of McKee. He's He's going to be just fine. Kobe, that line's not out, right? Say that again? That line's not out, right? I haven't seen anything. Oh, which, by the way, because I'm such a Marab fan, I needed to be honest and upfront about this. We can't do set the spread on Marab because I got multiple texts with the line opened at just because everyone knows that I'm the guy. So, Marab, Aldo, but apparently it opened at PK. Hmm. So, make it that way. Where does that go from there? A good question. I, I think it, I think it goes Aldo's way probably. I think that if I made you set the line, you'd have Aldo as a favorite slightly, right? How slightly? 
Yeah. So it'll probably go that way a little bit, but the rest of the way I got some. Wait, did you say not stuff. slightly? I said how slightly, but I was oh. kind of implying that I, it was going to be bigger than smaller. Yeah, 150-ish maybe. I don't know. You're a maniac. Just UFC announcements the rest of the way here. Uh, Askar Askarov, Brandon Roy Val on October 15th. Really great fight. Itching to see Asker back in the win column. Yeah, me too. Even though I don't think he lost the first one, me too. Two more fights added to the card of the century. Muhammad Mokayev, Malcolm Gordon on UFC 280. Yeah, Malcolm Gordon. I tweeted that at you, Dan, being like, what does it open at, minus 600? I mean, they're sending that man to slaughter. I think Malcolm Gordon's fade God and Mikhaev's on the up and up. I, I think that's a parlay ad no matter how you dice it up. Yeah, I agree. Malcolm Gordon is less game than uh, – Charles. Oh, I was yeah. going to say that. Who do you set as the favorite, Charles Johnson or Malcolm Gordon? Charles Johnson. Me too. And then Mahmoud Muradov and Chow Barayo also on that 280 card. What a fun one. And maybe we get a nice appetizing line on Chow because we've got uh, a lot of uh, – whatever Russian Muslim influence on that Abu Dhabi 280 card. And Dan was telling me when I was going through the rookie cards that he's no longer a buyer on uh Mahmoud Muradov. That, that is part of what I'm saying with this favorable line. I'm excited. Oh, no, I know Kyle. that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like Dan might be onto something. Two fight announcements the following week, October 29th, Dustin Jacoby, Khalil Roundtree. Another incredible matchup. Just like that one gets me excited. It puts a grin on my face. Reese perks up out of his chair. It's just a fun Muay Thai matchup. Honestly, they should just agree like in in a, in the face off in a presser and whatever, some interviews before like, all right, no takedowns. Like first one. The only way one of those guys shoots is if they get rocked. I mean, Khalil spends years and years in Thailand practicing Muay Thai has some of the sharpest kicks in the world. We know Jacoby has no interest in shooting. <laughs> I mean, negative interest. That one's going to be a fun one. That's going to be a fun one. If that one gets Danny half chub, then this might be full chub. Edson Barbosa, Ilya Topuria also on that card. Oh, my God. Incredible. We, we talk about it a little bit. Who the hell is Edson Barbosa's management team? The, the amount of killers that that guy's matched up against – I mean, it's it's really crazy, and, and it just doesn't stop. Ilya Toporia, I mean, they're on different trajectories. We say it all the time. Yeah. But what a, what a fun matchup. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Edson Barbosa's like, I only want to fight the who's who. I mean, he has some of the best striking around, some of the most entertaining fights around, and I'm actually intrigued just because of how Ilya got caught by Jai Herbert. If he gets caught the same way, that Jai Herbert caught him, but it's it's Edson's power. I mean, that you got to manage. But it's at one forty-five versus fifty-five. True. But I was gonna say you might have a dead man on your hand. I mean, this list is crazy though. Felder, Ferguson, Pettis, Melendez, Dariush, Khabib, Kevin Lee, Hooker, Gaethje, Felder again, Ige, Maquan, Burgos, Giga, Mitchell, Nataporia. No one will ever say that, that man doesn't. That that man's scared to fight somebody. Game as hell. Last fight to announce, and this is all the way out to December. I can't believe we're already announcing December, but December 3rd, fighting for Reese's heart, Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Hibas. Which one's fighting for my heart? <laughs> they don't Tracy need to fight Cortez. over me. <laughs> What the heck? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that fight is whatever. Um, 
All right, that's it. Let's get to this week. <laughs> Country clubs are Let's fun. Let's go. So this week we have UFC Fight Night Santos Hill with a little bit of a wrinkle. The, I guess, the close or the capper of the Ultimate Fighter this year. I don't know if anyone watches that. I started it. I got halfway through and I literally could not watch it anymore. It was so painful. Nonetheless, the tournament championship for both women's flyweight and men's heavyweight is also closing. So it's kind of going to be the closure because obviously the coaches fought last night or last week, this week is so on and so forth, but we will get there. Starting off though, we have back-to-back women's fights. The first one being Myra Bueno Silva versus Stephanie Egger. And the line is Stephanie Egger minus 130, or we're doing DraftKings now. And it's 125, Myra Buena Silva plus 105. What's interesting, though, is it opened at Bueno Silva minus 130, Egger plus 110. So it's kind of flipped on its head a little bit. And I won't lie, Dan, I'm confused why. I think after my taping, I'm going to find myself – I mean, I'm obviously passing. Um, but I'm honestly I, – I actually am kind of aligning with, this, uh, aligning with the science here – I think Bueno Silva's striking is significantly crisper, significantly more powerful. The only thing I worry about, Edgar's got a phenomenal judo background, and I'm worried that and, – and Bueno Silva is content laying on her back. The only time I haven't seen it where she just sits on her back was her last time out. But you could see a appallingly slow top pressure from Edgar that, that – Bueno Silva just throws up submissions for three rounds and loses the decision. But the line movement did surprise me a little bit. Yeah, you're all over. Really nothing to add. Um, I'm going to be on the MBS side. She's going to have an advantage in the striking. She, her toughness was evident against Poirot. Um, and and if just, as long as she doesn't spend too much time directly on her back, I think she wins this fight. So I, I, love, the, I love the play. Interesting, because you and I are the Sharps, yet the Sharps seem to be moving the line towards Edgar, so they need to take a lesson from the ankle pick pot. Dan, since I took this one, I'll, I'll, I'll tee off for this one. Corey McKenna's fighting Miranda Granger at 115, and I know McKenna fights for Team Alpha Male, so you get the insta-fade check from your boy. McKenna's minus 210, though. Miranda Granger, plus 180, lined open at Corey McKenna, minus 210. So very little, if not any movement. I mean, it depends where you get the line, but line has not moved much what's your thoughts yeah this is an interesting one people know that i'm not going to be playing this straight up unless i'm playing the dog um and, and there's a good strategy to play the dog here i know that the last time we saw Corey mckenna she was a huge favorite over elise reed and very much shit in the apple pie um she's <laughs> super young super green um the the base is there but you look at this matchup and, and you've got Miranda Granger, who's going to have a size advantage, who's got a wildly, wildly big reach advantage. I'm talking almost 10 inches. And Corey McKenna, who is a decent wrestler and definitely has an advantage there, doesn't look to me elite in that realm. And so if this fight stays majority or two out of three rounds standing, I'm going to take the woman with the 10 inch reach to jab the other woman to death. And uh, I love the, what is it, plus 220, plus 185, 190 um, back-end price on that dog. I, and, and I know the science will back me up. I was about to say, it already sounds like 
the science is going to get off to a roaring start off the rip. Cause I like, uh, Bueno Silva, you like Bueno Silva. I like Granger, you like Granger, at least at the value. Great start off the to start off the night, hopefully speaking. Third fight up the card is Jason Witt, a guy we just talked about in the recap, fighting out of Glory MMA against Josh Quinlan. And Danny, I'm not even gonna lie to you, man. I went all the way to his LFA fights to kind of get an idea of what Quinlan brings to the table. And what I decided was. There's not enough evidence that Quinlan can defend the takedown where I can comfortably pay the price. However, Jason Witt has proven to be extremely chinny. I mean, extremely chinny. And I think that Quinlan throws about as hard, if not harder than anyone he's faced. So I I think Quinlan by KO might be the play if you're going to try to force something. But I don't think Witt is a live dog here. The line currently sits at Quinlan minus 245, Witt plus 205. Line started at Quinlan minus 200 and it's kind of been steamed up, you know, 10% or, or, or whatnot. But overall, Quinlan's a sizable favorite. It, do you see it differently? I mean, I, I don't know the, the realm to play this because I have the utmost confidence that Quinlan's going to be able to stay all three rounds He's going to do the more damage on the feet and tag him up. It's just the fact that I saw no evidence he can defend the takedown nor get up from the takedown, even on the regional scene. So I love your thinking. I love your breakdown. Uh, you're so close to being on the exact same train that I am. And um, before I really get into to where this train has led me, I want to pre- preface for our listeners that this is one of the situations that if we weren't in a – awesome game that we're having a lot of fun playing this would probably be a week where i say we skip an ankle off Mm, but this is a spot where i see i see a play i see a number i I see something that is really appetizing for me and in in a like i said we're forced to pick something that has the most confidence and and is the best and for me when i'm playing the game and i've I've got a week like this where there's a lot of toss-ups I look for a plus number or I look for something that, that is at least going to give me some value back. And so Reese is talking, I'm agreeing a lot with uh, the breakdown of, of Wit Quinlan. We got the wrestler Wit uh, trained with Jane Krause, who we mentioned is going to have a good game plan. He's going to know that Quinlan's coming out hard, hit, swings like a truck, um, looks for that knockout, doesn't have a ton of late round experience. Um, but you also highlighted the chin issue. So I'm looking at these lines and I'm looking at a guy who I know in, in Quinlan is going to come out, start fast, really aggressive, swing with everything he's got for the first five minutes, look for that finish. And I know on the other end, uh, we've got Witt who's got a pretty good or pretty decent grappling advantage plus a size and strength advantage if he survives, if, he, if his head stays on his shoulders for that first five minutes. He's, he's got himself a, a, he's some strength and he's – you're thinking technically under, more sound you? on the ground. You're thinking under. I like the under two and a half here, the or or the under one and a half. I'm looking at my is it under my only issue with that is Quinlan, at least in the LFA fights I was watching, showed to have a, a decent enough gas tank. The main fight I was talking about was Dallas Jennings. Obviously, he's not near as talented as Jason Witt, or or at least as experienced, but 
going, I mean, he has such a, a, a wide stance that even, even going into the late second, early third round, he was still throwing hard. And, and uh, the thing that fears me the most, not that your under won't hit, but I see this fight going, it, if it doesn't go in Quinlan's favor, I think it's going to go in the way where Jason Witt kind of does what he did to Philip Rowe, but in the first round before he got, before his chin gave up where he just lays on top of him, kind of peppers him with shots, and, and Philip Rowe just couldn't get up. If Quinlan has the same issue, I could see you just the clock just killing you while you just sit there watching a guy just slowly tap him from the top. That's my only fear. If it was a plus line, I'd agree with you, but minus 160 is a tough price to pay on that and that two and a half. I almost like the one and a half too. I know it's a less – Five minutes less, but you're looking at the plus 135, plus 125 range. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the one and the one and a half would maybe be the better play because if it goes past one and a half, I'm going to imagine it goes past two and a half because that means Witt's probably playing out his game plan that he wanted, you know? I would imagine. But that's, that's an interesting take on this fight. If you had to pick one straight up, who are you taking? Uh, I, I do think that Quinlan wins this yeah. fight. I think that he finds the chin, and that's that's really what it comes down to when I was breaking this fight down is I think that Witt goes to sleep, um, and if he doesn't, I, I think that there's a chance Quinlan gasses, but Quinlan's going to put the gas on or turn turn the pedal to the metal until he either gasses or finds a finish. That That's I, what we know Quinlan's going to bring. I 100% agree with you that it's going to be a – it's going to be a headhunting mission for Quinlan off the rip. Here's one that I want to hear your opinion of. It's Brian Battle, so the last season's Ultimate Fighter winner, going down from middleweight to welterweight, taking on Takashi Sato at 170. And Brian Battle comes in at a minus 285 on DraftKings. Sato plus 240 on the other side. This open, though, at Brian Battle minus 200 and has gotten just hammered hammered, hammered, and now finding it in the 280, 270 range. What, before I tell you my opinion, because this is the one I wanted to hear your opinion most on, what is your thoughts? How do you think this is going to play out? Yeah, uh, this is one where I won't say it flip-flopped all week, but I thought that I would land on the side of Takashi having a ton of value because Brian Battle, I mean, that really that whole season of The Ultimate Fighter, uh, and this season too, the past couple of seasons have been really lackluster, not a ton of talent. Uh, the win streak that battles on beating a bunch of other guys from his season is good for good for him, but it, it doesn't show me a ton. And yeah, but the more, the more that I really got into it, this reminds me a lot of that Trayshawn Gore matchup, but with Takashi having a little bit less power and a little bit less athleticism, and the exact same game plan. And so I do think that Brian Battle is going to win it. I don't think I would have touched it at 200, and I'm definitely not touching it at 260, 270. Um, but do I have a ton of confidence on the Takashi Sato side? No. So here's what's so interesting is I had the exact same opinion as you on almost everything. I came into taping thinking there's almost no way I take Brian Battle. I was looking to fade Brian Battle. I seriously was. Watch Sato, and I think Brian Battle's going to f- destroy this man. Look, wow. Here, and here's why. 
Brian Battle's striking is not the crispest. It really isn't. It's loopy. He really has a tough time finding the home. And his head movement's not great. His footwork's not great. However, however, his volume is extremely high. He is extremely high volume. And he is, he is phenomenal at using his range. The Treshawn Gore fight's the one I pick at the most. Treshawn was continuously trying to close that range. Brian Battle kept him away at kicks, kept him away with jabs. Coming down to 85, I imagine he's going to have a lot of a zip on those. I was taping Sato, and I was extremely underwhelmed. I, I think that if he gets put on his back, like in the Gunnar Nelson's fight, he is absolutely a fish out of water. And then when you watched him strike with Miguel Baeza, I mean, he was just always behind. He threw low volume. He was slower. And that's at 170. I think Brian Battle wins this fight no matter where it goes. I agree with you. The line's too high. I, I don't like touching it in the low 200s. Definitely not now. But I was thinking maybe a Quinlan Battle parlay, although maybe a wee bit risky, I do have a really strong feeling that both those guys win, and, that, and that's going to pay close to even. So I imagine that would be a, a way I might attack this. But Battle just is going to be, if the weight cut goes well, which is going to be the real key, he's going from middleweight to welterweight. The weight cut goes well. His range and his power is not going to be like anything Sato's seen. Um, and so I, I really came into this looking to fade battle and the tape just doesn't show it, man. The tape just doesn't show it. I tried to find it. I went through every nook and cranny to try to find it and I couldn't. I, I, I really like battle here. Terrence McKinney versus Eric Gonzalez, the biggest favorite on the card. And honestly, the biggest favorite in, in almost any card you'll find Terrence McKinney's coming in at a whopping minus eight fifty. but across all other books, that's on DraftKings across all other books. It's 900 and a thousand Eric Gonzalez on the flip lines, flip sides coming in at plus 600. That's pretty consistent across the board. My opinion is I just believe that at this high of a level, no man should be minus 900 just because these guys are still professional fighters. It's not the same as, 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 as Valentina Shevchenko being minus. I, I mean, these guys are, these guys pack power. They always have a puncher's chance. 900 seems steep. Um, but man, was I unimpressed with Eric, what Eric put on film. I, I didn't, he, has horrible defensive striking, very loopy strikes, not crisp at all. I, I think McKinney dismantles this man. I think McKinney first round KOTKO is the best play um, because obviously you can't – or McKinney just KOTKO in general apparently is plus 120, so I think that would be the way to do it. Um, and then I think if you were like, I need to place on this fight, I would say McKinney – First round, McKinney, KOTKO, or just Gonzalez straight because McKinney could gas. That Those are the only ways I could see it. Um, but I, I have a tough time thinking any man should be minus 900 in the UFC. Yeah, really nothing to add. McKinney's someone that really impresses me. I won't be paying this much on, on any kind of prospect, let alone Terrence McKinney, even though I'm really impressed by his wrestling, his striking, his power, really – all everything i uh yeah i i not gonna touch this one okay yeah me neither unless i mean unless i get 
too drunk on the first four and degen something, which will be what I just mentioned, either first round. I was surprised when you said that the TKO KO has a plus in front of it. And so, yeah. And, and that's not just first round. That's just period. Plus 125, yeah. apparently. So, yeah, that might be the I way. I think McKinney go. in round one is minus 200. Are you serious? Yeah. Did I find a faulty line? I was looking. No, at I, I I checked it. On, I checked okay. it right after you said it because I was surprised, and it's it's right there. But McKinney round one. Oh yeah, I'm seeing minus one sixty up to minus two hundred. Dan McKinney KOT KO. That might be the move. Gonzalez really doesn't protect himself well. That might be my send. Michelle Oleziacek versus Smiling Sam Alvey. This tweet actually got a good amount of traction on Twitter. I tweeted out that it is a true fact. Smiling Sam Alvey currently is tied for the longest losing streak in UFC history with BJ Penn at six. Or winless streak. Sorry, winless. He did have no contest. Or a draw. Winless streak at six. Losses. He's coming in at a whopping plus 450 against uh, Michelle Olziacek, who's coming in at minus 600. I just... Look, I know Michelle's going to win. I know Sam Alvey's not going to win. Like, I'm very confident in that. But I really don't know how to play this one. I could see Sam Alvey surviving the distance. I mean, he's going to be significantly bigger come fight night. I just don't see him winning this. Do you think that Sam Alvey's going to be significantly bigger come fight night? I know he was talking about on social media that he has 20 pounds to cut just to get to, what is it, 85 or 205? It's 85, and and Oleg Zaychek has always has fought, or not always, but he's fought at 205. He's looked small I know, but he's always looked small at 205, yeah. I, I, but that's I, why I'm unsure that Alvy's going to have a size advantage. I don't think Michelle cuts that much weight, man. I really don't. This is one – where I also like the under I, I'm looking at under two and a half minus 138 over on Betway minus 140 on uh yeah Bet Rivers um no line listed for DraftKings I'm sure that it'll be somewhere in that range but it, it it's like you said it's we've got light heavyweights who both have decent power Sam Alvey hasn't won in forever um and guys like, I mean, Brendan Allen's choking him out. Julian Marquez is choking him out. Um, I, I think that this one will end. I really do. I don't yeah, think that I love that price on the under. I'm actually shocked it's that low for the under two and a half. Um, because I think, I think Michelle could dispose of Sam Alvey quite easily. But I also think that Sam Alvey, as tough of a time as he's, had he, he's still able to find a home for those shots it's not like he doesn't pack power it's not like he's a prof- mm-hmm. not a professional striker um definitely yeah under might be the send there i kind of like that main card is up next and we're starting off with ariana lipsky against priscilla cochea and the line is lipsky minus 175 priscilla plus 150 Opened at Lipsky minus 180, so next to no line movement. Dan, we kind of talked about this one on set the spread where we were at. Um, but I, I I think as much as I like Lipsky, I think this is another science bet, Dan. I think that the 150 on the other side is just too attractive. 100%. 
and I'm just not impressed by what I've seen from Lipsky. Um, and although these women are at two different points in their careers, I think that it's what a 28 year old woman versus a 33 year old woman. Is, is that really that huge of a difference? One's technically entering their prime, one's technically exiting their prime. But uh, I think Cachoeira still has enough in the tank to at least fight for your money. And I, I won't be paying favorite prices, not 175, 180, on uh, someone I've never been impressed with in the octagon ever. Yeah, this honestly, I know science last week went 0-2. This really does scream science night honestly everything sounds like the dogs looking favorable um next main card fight is a gusto sakai coming in against sergey spivak dan and i both undershot the line here sergey spivak is now up to a whopping minus 280 a gusto sakai plus 235 on the other side this opened at spivak minus 200 on the dot and has since gone up quite a bit and it's honestly gone up quite a bit recently this line really took off so the line opened um, July 18th, and this line didn't really take off until around August 1st, July 31st, and it just took off. Um, so a lot of people are seeing something in Spivak here. I like Spivak, and and it's it simply comes down to the fact that he's handled guys like Greg Hardy pretty effortlessly. And I know Sakai is more talented of a mixed martial artist than Hardy, but I see this being a long night for Zakai in the realm of clinch control uh, and, and just being stuck on the bottom with really no answer for it. You saw it again. And you're Sakai. right about Sakai being a better martial artist than Greg Hardy, but it's a similar problem or similar mm-hmm. puzzle to solve uh, in terms of Spivak taking them down and really smashing. And I think that that's what the Sharps are looking at. And that's kind of what I came down to um, when I was looking at tape. I think that. Spivak's really going to hammer Sakai. And, and Sakai, who has heavy hands, he's dangerous. But to me, he hasn't looked the same since Overeem caught him after he gassed. And yep. he's been gun-shy, lacking volume. I'm, I, w- I would give Sakai the advantage on the feet if I was confident that Sakai was going to have more volume. But I'm not. Or, so or that the fight was going to stay on the feet, which I'm also not confident in. Right. And- I'm even just saying for the time that it does stay on the feet, I'm almost just <clears throat> already giving Spivak takedowns, but I'm saying for the time it stays on the feet, I'm not even confident Sakai wins exchanges. The other thing too about that Overeem fight that's so important is that was on the super, super tail end of Overeem's career where a big worry was his chin and how his chin would hold up. And so I almost think that's another notch for Spivak where even if Sakai lands a couple of times, I don't think, I mean, Spivak's not some guy who's going to get flash in the pan KO'd. I, I think that he's going to be able to get to shoot for a takedown if he gets stumbled um, and, and actually eventually get it to the mat as well. So I, man, I think, I think Spivak's another great parlay at, and I, I think outside the women's fights, it's going to be a big night for the favorites. I really don't see a lot of dogs having value here outside of, of um, the women. Let's get to the tournament championship. Dan, for the viewers, have you watched this season of the ultimate fighter? I watched every episode. I didn't watch any closely and I didn't revisit any for tape. So let's just say that that's where I'm at. Okay. So you did more than me. Um, I did revisit for tape, but I stuck, I got rid of everything else possible. I didn't listen to their stories. 
I didn't listen to the cat. I didn't listen to anything. I didn't watch them train. Nothing. I just watched the episodes where the people who made it to the finals were fighting. With that being said, we'll start off with Juliana Miller, uh, Miller versus Brogan Walker. And the line is, I'm still on the goose. guys be back. The line is Juliana Miller minus 120. Brogan Walker plus 100. Juliana Miller opened at minus 135. So, you know, a couple people have, have taken a, a shining to Brogan, but it's not a lot. It's, it's, it's limited my line movement. I, I'm staying away from this one. However, however, if I were to pick, it would be science. It, it would be science night. I think I'm just taking Brogan at plus 100. I think that especially in fights like these with a, 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 profe- a woman who has three professional fights under her belt, I think that that allows for even more of an opportunity for there to be variance. And, and when there's big variance, I, I tend to like the underdog. Reese, there's a reason I do this podcast with you and it's because you're smart. You sound really <laughs> smart right now talking Thank about you, science. Uh, and I'm about to say something dumb. I, I, I really, I think I like Juliana Miller here. I, I think I like this woman's favorite. She's a grinder. She's so, got great body lock takedowns, sneaky jujitsu, good cardio. Um, I don't think that this is a long-term winning strategy, but she likes to move forward, does not take a step backwards, looks for some of the, either of those body locks or just comes straight at your face and hits you. She, she forces the action right to her opponent. Um, and on the other side, you've got a 33 year old woman who's just breaking into the sport, um, Technically, she's got more experience, seven and two versus two and one. But can we really say that seven and two is a load of experience? What if I um, told you that she beat Miranda Maverick? Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, I know she has a win over Miranda Maverick, and she actually looked good against Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, those are two different versions of both of those women. 100%. And I think Juliana Miller comes in and is, is the better athlete. Uh, and I think she shows out. I, I don't know if I'm confident enough that I'm going to play it. And if I do play it, it won't be a multi-unit play. We're talking, I mean, and unproven the- fighters that I've hardly taped. But Juliana did catch my eye during this season. And I was like, nah, I, li- I like this fighter. She She's someone to watch. And you did mention, you're like, oh, I'm going to do something stupid. I-, I don't even think that's stupid. It's not science enough. It's not like... Miller's minus 190. And I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, she was one of the only women to get a finish with the Kimura on the on the uh, season. I, I mean, I don't know the other fights, but I know out of those, they only had one finish out of these two. And she also has a, 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 a I looked at her tab, she has a sleuth of grappling experience. And yep. that always, I mean, that always, it, it, her record doesn't necessarily paint the full picture of her experience, which also um, is worth it. That's part of it. I think I said it right at the top. To me, it's a little bit of striker versus grappler. And we've got a situation in the small apex cage where the grappler is not going to play the game of dancing and getting jabbed and whatever. She's going to come at you and all of a sudden you're going to be up against each other. And so I I think that that favors the body lock specialist to get some body lock. Even just clinch control time and, 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 uh, kind of the the less exciting but the grinder mentality she definitely is a dog too i mean she was Mm -hmm. she's miss violent 
Um, oh, yeah. So I, I don't you know. I, I like this conversation, Reese. I know it's yeah. a little bit of an echo chamber with you and I. I don't totally. Feel, I, think I, don't, I think I'll wind up on this Juliana Miller. Yeah, I don't totally disagree with you. I, I think for me, it's just easier to back the science. But this is this is the one where it's it's hard to predict either way. So I believe this is a Twitter follower of ours, but Zach Paga is fighting Muhammad Usman for the heavyweight tournament championship and the line and so it's five and oh paga against seven and two usman this is the brother of kamara usman and the line comes in at pauga minus 250 usman plus 210 and it opened at pauga minus 200 so he has seen all the action and has moved it up to 250 um in my opinion he is I mean, look, I saw Usman before uh, this um, tournament in the PFL and he lost and it wasn't a great performance at all. Obviously, it was a completely different fighter than he is now. It was over a year ago. On the other side, though. He's also got a loss to Dontel Mays, who we, who we talked about right. in the recap as, as being maybe right. UFC level. And, and, and Pauga, on the other side, I mean, he fought Marcus Perez in Cage Warriors. I watched that one live, performed well. And then he had these ultimate fighter performances. Um, and, you know, I, I think that Pauga is the guy that I want to back. But I'm really not looking to pay the 250 price tag on, on two guys that just aren't necessarily. Like, look, I'm not saying Pauga won't be it. And I'm not saying he won't compete at heavyweight. And I'm not even saying he's not talented. I'm just saying I don't know if I've seen it enough to pay 250. No disrespect to him whatsoever, but 250 is a, a steep price, especially against a guy who has a proven champion in his corner. Uh, one thing I'm noting is it's a heavyweight fight, and we're looking at a coin flip odds on over under two and a half. Uh, does, does that interest you at all? And in maybe playing the under just in that they're heavyweights and one punch could turn off most people's lights. The under would interest me, but out of their four fights on the ultimate fighter, three of them went to decision. So I do think that there's the aspect, I mean, you see on the tapology record, they're called exhibition fights. I, and, and you see it in the PFL a little bit. People change their game plans knowing I have to be healthy for the next fight. And, and heavyweights going that into a, a do or die championship is different than the second or first round of a tournament where they've got to be healthy in another five, six weeks. That is a mentality. I honestly didn't really think much about. Hmm. I mean, they're massive men too. It's, it's not like this is this fight will lack power. The other interesting storyline uh, you've got Mo Usman training at Fortis MMA. Obviously his brother started in South Florida and has, has been at elevation fight team in Denver for the past year or so since winning and Pauga is his elevation fight team guy. He's, he's close with Whitman and Gaethje. And I think he's been at fight, fight or el he's been at elevation since before Kamaru got there. And so that's just an interesting dynamic of Kamaru's going to be, we think we, we think Kamaru's going to be in Mo's corner. How much has he seen in, in camp? How much does he talk to versus Trevor? How much is, it could be nothing. It could, it's just an interesting storyline. I noticed. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, and, 
talk about like top tier upper echelon of camps. That elevation fight team is as good as they come. No knock against Fortis. Fortis is too, but elevation fight team and Trevor Whitman's mind in particular is one I hold with an extra shine on it. Sounds like we're both on Pauga. Yeah, I, I'm just not picking this one. Yeah, I, I maybe can't tell you that I'm on Pauga. Pauga, like I would ever play the number, but if you're doing a parlay of the entire card, the Pauga's the side for me. Okay, and then and then maybe the under two potentially. If yeah, you're, I, if you're I, I don't know why that, that's something. Yeah, it's poking its head. I opened best fight odds, half expecting it to be a one and a half that I was gonna like the over of. But when I saw it's two and a half and still just 110 each way, I was like, these guys are still 265. They're still going to go in there and throw absolute cinder blocks at each other's chins. Maybe. Could be. Could be. Plus, they're looking to put on a show. We saw it in the Contender Series. Getting to the co-main event, Vicente Luque is taking on Jeff Neal. Line's not nearly as high as I thought it would be. Vicente Luque is minus 180. Jeff Neal is plus 155. The line opened at Vicente Luque, minus 175, almost no movement. One thing of note is when the line first opened, um, someone smashed Jeff Neal, where it was enough to move from 175 to minus 145 for Luque. Then ever since then, it's just slowly climbed back until it's past the opening point at 84. So there was really early action on Luque, or on Neal, and then it tapered all the way back until where Luque's higher than where it opened. Dan, I'm, I actually want you to start off on this one just because I'm so torn on this one, especially yeah. at that price. You're going to be a little bit, I guess, when you say you're torn, less so, but I expected a little bit confused on this one just based on our conversation on set the spread because I've actually come a lot more towards the Jeff Neal side. Mm. And Vicente Luque is a guy that's made us money as a podcast that's uh, – a training partner and best friend of one of our favorite fighters of all time, Gilbert Burns, um, a guy that's, I mean, just a, a really well-respected mixed martial artist from me. Um, good everywhere, game everywhere. And I think that that's partially his downfall. And uh, I mean, we, we, I think that we're going to see a situation where he's confident to stand in trade with Jeff Neal, who. I mean, that's Jeff Neal's only way he's going to win this is standing and trading and, and landing more. But Vicente Luque is a guy, if you look at the stats, and I, I don't a ton, but I, I always kind of peer over them. Uh, no matter who, on average, he's eating more shots than he's delivering. And I think against a guy who has a reach advantage and has a power advantage. Oh, no, they've got equal reach. Scratch that from the record. But has a power advantage. I don't think that that is a good strategy. I think that um, it's just not the best matchup for Vicente if Vicente is going to make this a coin flip Muay Thai matchup. Mm. But do you not think that Vicente, not only does he have a phenomenal chin, but don't you kind of believe that Vicente is maybe more technically sound and talented everywhere? I maybe do. Outside of the argument that that Jeff Neal might have more power, I feel like Luke A, when you break it down by even fight IQ, I I feel like Luke A kind of beats him everywhere. And and I might be off base, but that's just my initial opinion from, from what I've seen. 
I don't know. I look at the the fights that Jeff Neal has lost, and it's Wonder Boy and Neil Magny. The strategy that Neil Magny had of of weighing heavy on Jeff Neal is not something Vicente Luque is going to do. And Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is just a different level of striker. Yeah, um, Luque lost to him too. I see Luque standing in front of Jeff a little bit too much and, and, mm. and just being a little bit too hittable. And that's kind of what scared me off of the Vicente, the Vicente Luque side. Excuse me. Okay. So are you going to play slash track Jeff Neal or is this just an inkling that, that doesn't go farther than that? You know, I've got my finger on the trigger. Nothing, Nothing's being pulled yet. Uh, I would not be surprised come Saturday morning if Jeff Neal's on my card for one unit. Um, I, I think that this should be a lot closer to evenly lined. And plus 150, plus 155 is a, is a tasty number. I mean, sounds like the listeners are going to have to get over to Twitter where they've always needed to go to find out how that shakes out. Main event time. Tiago DiMaretta Santos against Jamail Hill. And the line is steep, steeper than I thought. Jamail Hill is all the way up to minus 320 right now. Santos on the reverse is plus 265. Hill 320 opened, is huge. Hill opened at 250 and has never looked back. It has just gone straight up since then. Until it's find it's it's found its eventual home at three twenty on DraftKings. Wild, wild, wild. So two fifty at three twenty. The worst part, Dan. I think Hill's a parlay piece, but I don't know. You're talking about a guy who went five rounds with John Jones and looked great, but I know that was two ACLs ago and three years of age ago. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm truly torn on this one as well. Is at the line, at the line, straight PK. It's, it's Hill all day long, without a doubt. It's that 320 line that really is where it becomes a problem. Yep. I agree. And I think that part of the reason why Tiago is so unplayable for me, even though I think the line's a little out of whack is that it's a, a five round fight. We've seen what happens to Tiago in five-round fights recently since this double ACL replacement, MCL, PCL, the whole thing on both knees. Um, he either sets a pace that's unsustainable and gases, or he's too gun-shy and can't win any round because he only throws 15 strikes. And against a guy who's got the cardio advantage, going to have the speed advantage, might not be better technically in striking. I don't think many people in the world are better technically striking than Tiago Santos. I think Hill is going to have a lot more success when they're striking over the course of five rounds. And yeah. the, and, and the Santos side is just so unplayable to me um, because of that. Yeah. The speed advantage and, and especially with the age as well, you got to give towards Hill. So I guess the main reason why people listen here is how, how do you approach this? I mean, how are you going to play this line? I think for me, the only spot I can really do it is either Hill minus 320 in a parlay not straight or hill wins by kotko at a slight minus line outside of that i mean you can worry about a club and sub i don't know kind of like what you touched on that that this 
37-year-old Santos we see can truly go five with a guy who puts the pressure on him. Um, but I don't know, man. I had a tough time finding out how to play this one. So here's an angle, and it's a little interesting. Um, but we've got Jamal Hill trying to prove himself, trying to get himself into that title conversation and, and put his name at the top of Dana and McMaynard's list, right? It's yep. his first five-round fight in the UFC. Um, I know it's the first time that – I, I want to say that he's been scheduled for five rounds, but I'm actually not sure. I'm trying to click through his record here. Okay, he's been scheduled for five rounds before. Um, but in the UFC, it's, a, it's the first time he's going to be in championship rounds. Do we think that I'll, – I'll, I'll say the other side first before I pose the question. Tiago Santos – Although he's slowed, although he over five rounds he's looked gun shy, looked whatever. Um, guys like Alexander Rakic, guys like Magomed Ankalaev, guys like John Jones can't knock him out. Yeah. If if we don't think Jamal Hill's going to go in there and sub him, is the over one and a half a huge value play at like minus one fifty? I'm seeing it in a five round scheduled fight with a guy who wants to prove he can go five rounds. And against another guy who doesn't get knocked out. And and I don't really see Jamal Hill going flatline. So seven and a half minutes to me, it I, th- I see this fight going over seven and a half more often than not. And, and more often than the 155, 160 implies. I think it would be the longest, what, seven minutes and 30 seconds you'll have. But I don't hate it. I mean, Jamal Hill has the record of he's coming out there to take your head off, but that's against Johnny Walker, Jimmy Crew, OSP. It, it, it's not strikers of the same level defensively and, and uh, footwork-wise than Tiago Santos. And what we're saying, the reason we don't like backing him, it, the main one for me in these recent five-round fights is the output. It, it's the it's – the, it's the volume, and it's because he's not finding the right opportunities – picking his shots well, his footwork's well, moving around. I I think it's likely that we see a stare down for 30 seconds, a minute and a half of gun shy, um, and then some movement where it's hard for Jamal Hill to really line up a perfect shot. Especially if there's that standard light heavyweight, heavyweight, feeler round, you know, where they, they mm-hmm. range, they slowly. If it was two and a half, it'd be a little different, but I, yeah. I, I like this over one and a half, seven and a half minutes to me is not a ton of time when both guys are preparing months for a 25 minute fight. I think if you were going to approach this fight, that is the best angle to do it. You, you, you have fully swayed me on that. And it honestly might see my track plays. I, I think that's the way to approach it. It's a little bit shaky because, like you said, this is a tough card to play. There's a lot of favorite action. There's a lot of favorites that we like. Um, and I'm going to end up with a couple of props that are in and around my card, and I don't know where it's at because listeners know that's historically my worst kind of plays are props. But, um, I mean, we've ankle locked some and they've cashed, so it's not like that's a foregone conclusion, that narrative. Yeah, and so – if you can tell by the way this discourse went, this course went, Danny and I have, have not quite settled on an ankle lock, and we're gonna need to go to the drawing board to get closer to finalizing that. 
So follow us on Twitter at Ankle Pick Podcast. That's the best spot to get it. We will tweet it out there. Guaranteed 4-0 on the year so far. Looking to advance that. Country Club, any house cleaning before we wrap this bad boy up? I got nothing to add. No? I'll clean you up a little bit. 16-6 and six on the year 4-0 since the new game started. But in that new game, we're in second place. We're looking great. All the momentum in the world. Let's keep it. That's the plan. Kobe, set us off. Poha! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.